And I can't say I write my songs with my brain very much. Lyrics usually just flow from me like water. They, it, there's just a, the, the song gets birthed through me. Thanks for dropping in. This is episode 32 of Measured Voices, featuring conversation and music with songwriters from around Idaho's Treasure Valley. I'm Walt Huntsman. This time out, I sit down with songwriter Carrie William White. We'll talk influences, being a conduit when it comes to songwriting, living in a car, the money dilemma, we'll even throw in a little spirituality as it relates to Carrie's songwriting. That's all next on Measured Voices. I want to. I'd, I'd ask you to describe your music for people who aren't familiar with it. But over the years, it seems like you've you've ranged over a, a number of different musical genres. Is is that conscious choice to uh, be more eclectic in terms of your music? Do you Absolutely. Think? I I don't think I was diagnosed as a kid because they weren't diagnosing us back then. ADD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think mine is a se- severe uh, thing, but. Um, because uh, my attention span, I, I get bored with rock and roll real easy. I get bored with pop songs really easy. Uh, rap's not even interesting enough to me musically to, to listen to. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're poets, good poets. But in terms of my diversities of style, it has evolved my entire life, mainly because of that and also because of, of the bands that influenced me when I was just getting going. We're talking 1973. By then, The Who had just come out recently. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, uh, of course, The Beatles, which I I grew up on my entire life listening to The Beatles. And so when it comes to now me picking up the guitar and learning how to sing and play keyboard, I've got all these uh, role models and, and imprints into my consciousness as to what you could do with music so when some of these bands came out that were just doing three chord stuff like acdc they were all right i enjoyed them they at least had really good energy but when i went to play their songs i found i was getting bored pretty quick because for the i was a rhythm guitar player when i first started out Mm -hmm. i didn't learn to lead till a number of years later um and then um i also noticed i didn't get my parents uh interest into my music they really didn't like coming to hear my bands play, and uh, really had no 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 comments. They were polite about it, but they had no comments. So then I uh, ran into a guy that that was a master classical guitar player. His name is Skip Roland or Gordon Roland. He now lives down in um, the San Francisco area. So he began to uh, teach me how to play classical guitar because I just fell in love with what he could do. So now that I'm getting classically trained, and then I eventually did get my degree in it, and I did go the, the whole route of getting a degree in music, um, but I still love my rock and roll. After that five years of studying um, classical guitar back in the mid-'80s, first thing I did when I graduated in 1990 was go become the lead guitar player for one of the pop bands in town, D. Anderson and Primetime was the name of that group. And... Uh, I didn't do any classical for a couple of years because I got bored with it. <laughs> so I even got bored with the classical. Um, so that's why I've, I've got such a diverse range of music. Is Most of the bands that I look up to, Pink Floyd, um, Kansas even, they, they do a lot of different things with their music. They don't just stay with one type of... They aren't just trying to get a hit on the radio. Right. 
Right. You, you talked about some of the bands that you listened to growing up. Uh, so I, I'm perhaps dangerously going to assume that some of those were probably influences on you as you began to develop your own style. What, who were some of the other musical influences for you? Okay, so as far as my personal guitar and voice style, I would say Kansas, uh, Phil Keggy, which is a Christian musician. Yeah, he may not be known in the secular fields that much, but even to this day, I consider him one of the best songwriters and one of the world's top guitar players. Oh, he's a great guitarist. I, I know a little bit of his music. And and he does it all with four fingers. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, I think he's missing the fingers. Maybe it's three fingers he's doing all that fancy work with. And he's still playing. In fact, he's kind of a loop master now. And as I said on my last concert that I did the showcase, that was my first time performing with a looping device and i really enjoyed that it worked for the most part (laughs) we had a couple glitches but um uh yeah so those guys really you know that once that gets in you at least with me um it just it's like your subconscious and then when i would get a song idea i can pretty much hear whose voice is, is influencing this particular style of song as I'm writing it. It's kind of an interesting component of songwriting, actually. Are, are there particular things that you took from people like Phil Kage and, and, and others in Kansas that uh, as you started your own musical and songwriting journey? Yeah, probably one of the biggest is rather than just doing a standard song with a verse, chorus, verse, maybe bridge or transition... Um, they would actually have sometimes three or four different things that song would do. Pink, Pink Floyd's known for doing that, too. Right. Um, and so as I started writing my songs, this one that I'm going to be sharing with you uh, here in a little bit live uh, off my acoustic, it's called uh, Time Has Come. And it's a classic example of a song that's got the chorus and the verse, but it also has some interesting instrumental segues that I go to. Uh, that well, actually, that song in particular reminds me of a lot of what Pink Floyd does. Um, so now, when you when you write, uh, where or, or what do you draw ins- inspiration from? I can't really say there's any one thing. Um, the only pattern I can recognize with my songwriting is I get a nudge a song is coming or you need to get your guitar and your recording stuff out. I feel a song coming on. Um, and it, it just happens really subtle. And typically if I've got that recorder running, this is how I've been writing lately. Like the last eight years, I would say most of my songs happened with me just happening to get that nudge, that, that intuition that a song's coming. I turn on either my computer or a digital recorder and I just start playing. Within five minutes, I've got a song just just being birthed as I'm playing. I'm not even trying to write down anything or figure out chords. I just get on this idea, and then the song kind of writes itself. I'd say most of my songs are, uh, they were caught that way. I, I played them once. I wrote them once. They happened to get recorded. And sometimes if I really think it was something at the, at the moment, I will... Um, immediately relearn the song, write down the lyrics, type them out, get the chords figured, you know, written down so that I've, I've got the song, I can rehearse it now. But in some of these cases, um, the one I'm going to be playing for you, the New Day One, which is off the album, we're going to share that one today, um, that song happened completely um, through the recording session that I was doing, 
And then I think I went on and did a couple more songs that night. Kind of forgot about New Day One. Three years later, I'm going through some of my old musical files, and I'm listening to this song going, it's rough, but that's really got some cool ideas to it. So I sat down, and and like I said, I had to type out the words, had to type out the chords, had to relearn the song. And then by relearning the song, I was able to tighten up some of the areas that were sloppy in it. But for the most part, all the lyrics, all the chord changes, all the chord ideas were already there on that recording. I just needed to relearn it and then get really good at playing it. And... Um, I, that's happened like five or six times just in the last eight years where the song was something I f forgot I'd even recorded. I go back. Uh, well, the one I, I, I shared with you before we started this uh, session today, uh, We Are One in Love. Yeah, that song actually got started 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And then um, evolved again three years ago. I completely forgot about it. And then in January, I got this recording software, Ableton Live, and I decided... Well, let's see what we can do. Flush this song out. See if we can make it a song. And then I literally did add some lyrics and uh, some changes to it consciously. So that was a whole different process because some of it was caught on, on a recording. Some of it I'd been dabbling with before that, just, just when I'm jamming around. And then just a few months ago, I finally take a few of those song ideas, and it finally becomes a whole complete song that I'm very excited about. Well, at this point, I, I think uh, we should uh, give people a taste. Uh, tell us about the, the first song you're going to share with us. All right, New Day One. Um, this is a very exciting song for me. Um, right after I wrote it, I um, was so excited about the material. This is about five years ago that I set up a, a video camera out in the yard and my little digital recorder and an overhead microphone. And I immediately got this inspiration that just came to me out of nowhere. Why don't you do a multi-track version of this song live? Because I had a, a four-track recorder, right? So I did the song with me playing guitar and singing. And then I rewound the, well, the digital machine back to zero and uh, took my guitar and turned it over and did the drums, did a rhythm for it, and a, a harmony. Okay, so that was track two, and I'm videotaping each of these sessions while I'm recording, okay? And then finally I did a third one where I did another set of harmonies vocal-wise and lead guitar work. So then when I get into my studio and I create this, this music video, it's my first real fancy music video with, with uh, multi-tracks and multi-pictures of me. So basically, you get three Carrie Whites. Yeah, they all th two of them have headphones on. The first one, I didn't have to have headphones because it was my first track, right? I was just playing. Uh, but the other two, to hear what I was doing, mm -hmm. I had to wear headphones. So I, it goes back and forth between Carrie that started the song singing it, Carrie that's doing the rhythm, Carrie that's doing the lead. And you get to see all three Carries throughout the, the, the recording of the song. And, and you can see this out on my website, carriewilliam.com. The name of the song is New Day One. Okay. Well, we'll listen to New Day One. Today is a brand new day. I want to play my guitar. Today is a brand new day and I wanna kiss the sky I know yesterday had this day But they're all gone now I learned my lesson 
never come before You know it's the end of the war It becomes a loss, it's all is done You and me and the eagles gone Before before uh, you shared New Day One with us, you were talking about how some of the songs came to you, and I, I, it reminded me of a conversation I'd had with, a, a, I think, with a couple of other songwriters, where they, they talked about the idea of being almost like a conduit. Does that seem kind of like that fi- with in those instances where those songs just sort of sort of suddenly had to come out that that's what you were acting as yeah um are you a songwriter yourself i am okay um i don't know too many people that actually write songs okay and i mean that's something they've done their whole life mm-hmm. uh, i didn't intend to become a songwriter um but in answer to your question absolutely i mean when that inspiration hits to to, to create something that's never been created and you're getting these these i get sort of a, a vision almost uh premonition 
like I said, a nudge that something's mm-hmm. coming, or I'll, I'll I'll be playing with my guitar, and all of a sudden I get this this thing that I'm doing. I'm going, oh man, I like this. And then as you follow through on inspiration, it starts out as a seed, and as you keep working it, it develops into this song with words, melody, a certain rhythm, uh, certain chords and and harmonies that are going in there. And I can't say I write my songs with my brain very much. Lyrics usually just flow from me like water. They, it, there's just a the the song gets birthed through me. So yeah, being a conduit, I, I like that. I think that's a good way to put it. Now, looking at at your website, and and I may be completely wrong here, but it it, it struck me that at least at some level. Eastern philosophy seems to play a little bit of a, a centering role for you, or at least uh, some Eastern disciplines. Like uh, I noticed, you had videos for for Tai Chi uh, mm-hmm. exercises and that kind of thing. Um, how does how does that? Uh, it, and it seemed like like you use those exercises at least in part. You mentioned a warm up, but also that they they kind of help ground you when you start getting into the music it is that close or am i completely off base on that well i don't know uh how to answer that entirely so i'll, I'll just go with my first impression here um so i i kind of had uh two lives okay um my life as a married man which i'm no longer married okay and raising my kids and you know being a music teacher in the public schools and then you know teaching computers at BSU and then finally Micron gets a hold of me in Healthwise and I, I end up being a computer programmer which was not intentional just the money was good and nobody was doing it not very many people were doing it in the in the mid 90s so I jumped in on this wave to make good money to support my family but my marriage was failing for a lot of reasons and by uh, 2000 2001 I sort of had a revelation that turned my world upside down. I all of a sudden realized I didn't have to stay married if I didn't want to. I didn't have to continue to work my job now that my kids were teenagers. They could support themselves. So right about the time I'm divorcing, I'm waking up to, um, I don't know how to put it, that the uniqueness of who I am. Up until this point, I was a pretty selfless person in terms of just... I'm married. I got to take care of my wife. I got to take care of my kids. I got a job to do. I got a yard to clean. I got a house payment to make. La da 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 da. And that's what I was. I was I was this machine that kept the family, you know, fed and and safe. And when I realized that that was changing, I moved into an RV, and I made literally written declarations to the universe that I would like to devote myself now to what I consider to be one of my greatest gifts in coming here. Not just being a father. That certainly was right. the greatest gift as well. I mean, there's, how, do you, how do you say what is greater than this or that? I, I, I put them all together in the same, that they're all glorious gifts, being able to be a father, being able to be a husband, um, be, to, be able, to be a good friend. Those are all really, really high gifts. But I never really honored my music until that year. And so I made this declaration. I was going to devote my life to this gift that I have of writing and performing and, and singing and recording my own songs. And um, I um, started 
studying uh, other religions. I was reading The Course in Miracles, and then that sort of opened me up to some Eastern philosophies and teachings. Then a couple years, I learned Tai Chi and how to work with the energy force in my body. I had learned to meditate for the first time. And at that point, I was 44. I learned how to silence my mind. I didn't even know it was possible to just focus in on your breath and let the thoughts literally just become still. Because at that point, when I reached quiet inside, I could actually hear the voice of the Holy Spirit or my true spirit, my soul. I think they're one. And that's what really turned my life around because now I wasn't hooked into the world and its thoughts and philosophies. I was I had a direct connection to spirit and I was getting all these songs coming to me that were to me very strong spiritual messages. Um, for example, the next song we're going to listen to is off of, uh, it, it's not even on an album yet. It's uh, one that I've been just playing with in my own home studio, but uh, it's called uh, We Are One. And it's a pretty simple message, but it uh, it just says we are love. That's what we are, you know. It's not a big mystery well, to that. Let me ask you, uh, and, and you, you've sort of, and maybe maybe even fully answered this this part of the question, but it kind of relates to what you've been talking about. And you were talking about meditation, and I'm kind of wondering what role those kinds of things uh, play for you when it comes to uh, creating your music. You know, and boy, that question really hits home right now, Walt, because um, uh, I've been in a drought for the last 10 years musically. I'd say in the last 10 years, I've written five songs. Mm. Now, the previous 10 years, I'd written over 25 songs. So they were, and, and usually when I get into a songwriting um, inspiration, I'll get two or three within the same month. You know, sometimes that year there'll be five or 10 songs at the end of the year that are really good, really well done. So, um, I, I've not been meditating as much as I used to. I haven't been doing my Tai Chi as much as I used to. So to answer your question, if there's any uh, burdens on our mind, on my mind, I'll just make it personal. If my body is not feeling very healthy, I've got aches and pains going on or whatever, uh, my heart's weighed down with family problems or relationship problems, all those things to me um, suppress my, my creative instinct to, to do art or to do music. So for, for me to get back into meditation and uh, taking care of my body with Tai Chi and going for walks and making sure I'm, I'm doing things to stimulate the natural part of my, my being opens up the door for more creativity. And I know that those two are, are interlocked, at least for me. You know, now some people they they write a lot of songs when they're going through the the blues and the hard <laughs> things in life, and that's when it kicks their creativity in. But so there are those catalysts as well. But yeah, you know, I I tend to draw not so much on current bad times, but I tend to remember previous ones and mm -hmm. draw on those a lot. If my understanding of the term is is correct, uh, you are sort of what at one time might have been. Uh, categorized as sort of a renaissance man in that you do music and you also have done photography and painting. Um, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your art and whether there are common themes that sort of transcend from the music to the art or vice versa. 
Well, as you look around my studio, you can see um, a pretty much a good representation of the kind of art that I do. Um, and it's, it's otherworldly. And so my music I consider to be somewhat otherworldly because I'm, I'm always looking... Again, we go back to the bands that influenced me. I mean, Kansas, Pink Floyd, not so much Phil Keggy, but there was a number of bands, you know, that had a certain psychedelic or otherworldly, multidimensional aspect to their music that that didn't sound like your normal songs. They were actually able to, the Beatles, I mean, they were always playing with, with dimensions in their songs, you know? I'm thinking a little bit, and I don't know that they quite fit into this that that category, but uh, because but because we're trying to learn one of their songs right now, I'm thinking of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer a little to some extent as well. Oh, they definitely influenced. Um, well, at this point, I think maybe uh, we'll ask you to share another song with us. Yeah, like I said, um, the next one up is "We Are One." It's uh, out of my uh, home studio, so it's not been yet. Uh, put into an album format um, however it is on my my website as uh, I've got three or four new songs out there that are that are coming along and when I get my 10 or 12 songs I'll, I'll do another album out of them but it's called we are one and and I know we, we talked you talked about it a little bit earlier but maybe just a, a quick idea of either what the song deals with or or how you know you talked a bit about how it came to you um, well, I was glad that you, you, you're, you're wanting to know a little bit more because this song does have an interesting story to it. Um, about 15 years ago, I was living in my car by choice. I, I had an RV before that, couldn't afford the gasoline, so I made the conscious choice of selling it to buy a station wagon that I could rip the seats out and put a bed in and have an area for my kitchen and a refrigerator and I ended up living in that car for a couple of years just here in Boise. Um, I won't go into details about how I survived the winters. Um, a heater and an 80-foot extension cord basically and then you just <laughs> find free power wherever you can. Um, I love those years and during those years I was hanging around a lot of new age people, a lot of hippie people, a lot of street people. Um, I, I I had felt at the time that my mission in life was to just go and play my music wherever the wind blows and not be um, stuck and grounded to a house and a job. I could just go where I wanted, when I wanted. I could spend hours a day meditating if I wanted. Well, during this period of time, one of my hippie friends, um, she was a yoga teacher, she wanted to have a celebration to marry herself. And um, it was her way of honoring her own divinity and her own soul. She asked if I would uh, write her a song for the event. And I wrote this simple little uh, chorus, uh, We Are One in Love. And everybody kind of does a repeat thing with it. You know, I go, I am love, you are love, we are one in love. And um, it... it, it worked great people loved it it was uh, an honor to be able to to write something that that had everybody singing to it but it didn't have a verse it just had that chorus so then a number of years later i'm playing around with the song and that's when i, I ended up recording um it and adding some verses to it and then like i said just a few months ago i decided you need to finish this song up do it in your studio let's see if we can button this song up and make it a complete creation so that's how that came about all right, well, we'll listen to uh, We Are One. 
church Do it for bad time Or do it for worse Feel the morning And the evenings too Right next to your lover What else would you want to do Right now With your life Through the day
coming out of We Are One, the title itself and, and, and sort of the, the chorus of that song remind me of, uh, of a spiritual writer that you may or may not be familiar with who, uh, by the name of Neil Donald Walsh, who talks a lot about the idea of the divinity in us and us in the divinity kind of uh, philosophy with regard to uh, creator and, and a supreme being in that. So there's, there seems to be a connection there as well. And that sounds like, is that, a, is that becoming a, a more common theme for you or just, is that that idea of, of celebrating that oneness and, and, and connection between the, I, for lack of a better way of putting it, sort of the inner divinity and the outer divinity. Do you, do you draw on that much? Well, I, I love Neil's work, so I'm I'm um, glad you brought him up because in the '90s, he, his book "Conversation with God" not only influenced uh, or at least inspired me greatly, um, but my own daughter uh, holds that book as like a Bible. <laughs> That's how much she loves those teachings. Um, I kind of go all over the place when it comes to spirituality. Um, um, my uncle thinks I'm a nut, actually. <laughs> Because um, I spent a, a number of years in, in Christian churches back in the 80s, a little bit in the 90s. And, uh, and then, I, like I said, I had a big revelation happen uh, year 2000, 2001, where I learned silence. And at that point, I started studying all religions. I studied Native American medicine. I did sweat lodges. Uh, I studied uh, Buddhism most recently because my, my fiance, she's, she, she's a Buddhist. And uh, so she kind of got me into that. And now I'm not really into that anymore. I'm not, you know, right now I'm at a phase where I, I don't even think about spirituality very much. I just know every cell in my body is an expression of the Divine Father and Mother. And But I don't try to philosophize it or talk about it. Because to me, uh, the real spiritual stuff happens when you're not even trying and thinking about it. It's, it's so, it's intuitive. And when you're following intuition and inspiration, then you're acting and you're, you're producing uh, fruit and actions, but you're not even taking glory for it. You're just enjoying the fact that life is flowing through you and creating through you. And uh, there's not much ego there when it's really happening from spirit, you know? It's, it's interesting. You were talking about silence, and, I, and you mentioned Buddhism, which immediately came to mind. And then I was also thinking of uh, Thomas Merton a bit. I haven't read him in a long time, but, but I'm familiar, yeah. But that that same idea of uh, silence uh, as as a way of uh, connecting with the divinity around you. But then also I was reminded of, there was a, a, an India, uh, a Jesuit priest from India who once said of, of God that there are many different paths to the mountaintop, many different ways up the mountain. So uh, I like you i've kind of not not so not so much all the religions but I, i've sort of wandered around a bit as it was trying to figure out which well uh, that's why spoken. i don't i don't go around preaching any one philosophy or religion um to anybody because um you know i'm 61 and it, it took me a few decades of living out dogmatic Christianity to realize it doesn't work, number one. Number two, people that usually talk about spiritual stuff a lot are usually the le ones that are doing the least with it. Whereas those that are just living a really full life have a very rich spirituality, but they rarely feel the need 
to talk about it, let alone proselytize. Now, that's where my philosophy is right now, is trust that everybody's on their right path, even if I don't understand their path or agree with their path or mm -hmm. even consider their path possibly uh, dangerous or damaging to them or others. Um, I have to withhold my judgment. The only caveat I'll add to that is there is something mystical, magical about Jesus, the, the, the risen human being, and that whole story about him. And so with him, I kind of put him in his own special category in, in terms of him being a real significant key to our own personal um, spiritual evolution. And like I said, I, I won't go into that right now because I'm not really into religious stuff right now. But he's one, he's one dude I do like to, to give a shout out to whenever I can. <laughs> well, we'll cycle back around uh, because uh, as we've been talking, uh, uh, there seems to be conscious or unconscious, a clear connection between your spirituality, wherever it is, and, and your music as, as you develop it and create it and produce it. Um, but... Uh, to get back to music specifically, when you do uh, sit down uh, and, and feel that song coming, do you have any idea at all when, when you're starting what kind of song it's, whether it's going to be, uh, because you have done so many different styles of music, whether it's going to end up being more rock-oriented or more uh, pop? Oh, sure. I think part of what comes with it, and you can probably testify to this in your own songwriting, is there's a... There's a definite sense of what this song is when you first be begin to get the idea. Like, um, We Are Love. There's just a certain Beatle-type quality uh, to that song, and I knew that from, from the beginning of it. Um, I'm trying to give you another example. Um, it's not coming to me. There was one song that I wrote. I definitely had this one. There was, there was this one artist that was on the radio a lot, Dan Fogelberg. That's, mm -hmm. that's who I was trying to think of. And I could literally hear how he would sing this song I was writing, and it totally influenced how, how I sing it to this day and how I play it. Is I go, well, this is a Dan Fogelberg-like song, and I, I love his music enough. I'm going to write one that, that, to me, allows me to, to, to express the way he does, because he has such a beautiful soul in the, in the way he expresses his, his music, you know? That's, that's funny that you mentioned that Dan Fogelberg came into you, because uh, we, we had just started performing the old Glenn Campbell song, Gentle on My Mind, cool. and we had been doing a Bob Dylan song, and I sat down one day and I started to write the song, and then suddenly it was, it was like sort of more Bob Dylan sensibility in that it was, it was not... A relationship that was working, but with a Glenn Campbell, John Hartford, gentle on my mind kind of feel to it. So I call I call the song uh, "The Love Child of Glenn Campbell and Bob Bob Dylan" when I when we do it. So it's cool. kind of interesting. That is really cool. You could relate to that. Yeah, I can't say that happens on every song. I mean, no, there's some no. songs I. Um, but yeah, your, your question was, do you have a sense of, is this a rock song? Is this a ballad? Is this a, you know, a, a folky type thing? Or is this really a hard rocky thing? You know, yeah, usually I think initially. Do, do you, you ever have that change? Like you get partway into a song, you, you think it's going to be one way and, and suddenly something tells you that maybe it should be different somehow? That happened to me with one of the recordings. I, we aren't going to hear it today because we've already picked these three. But uh, the song, um, oh, come on, what's it called? What's it called? Um, Already There. 
Uh, I did a recording of that. Uh, didn't make it on my album, but uh, an old recording of it years and years ago. And I love the recording because uh, um, Ben Burdick actually influenced how I was playing that song at the time. I went to Rebecca Scott's open mm -hmm. mic at Pingelli's, and uh, he got up and, and backed me up on a couple of my songs. And he said, hey, let's do this right there where you're doing that little da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
maybe maybe one day that will uh, that will happen. Uh, and I'm really proud of Mike Brown for getting that going and and persevering through, uh, you know, getting a brand new thing started and the difficulties that you have. Um, and I hope it grows. I hope it really grows because I love his 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 format mm-hmm. and uh, venue. So, well, before we close, uh, the only other thing I have uh, is just sort of a general question as to what else you'd like people to know about you and your music, if there's anything. If there's anything I want them to know is that everybody can play. I teach music. Uh, Walt, I, I, one of the things I really love doing is, is um, taking somebody who goes, I have no musical talent, but I really want to play guitar, I really want to sing, and then watching how as if they study and they work, and they apply themselves, especially with, with a good teacher. Um, anybody can, can, make, can make music. Anybody can make their own music, even, if that's what they want to do. But uh, I've just seen it over and over again, taking so-called, quote-unquote, non-musical people and teaching them the fundamentals of how to get music to flow and cascade and have dynamics, as well as the right notes, right? Um, and so that's probably one of my biggest joys is being able to inspire that in others. Because I've never had the mindset that I, I want to be looked up to for what I do as a musician um, or that I'm something special, even though I think it is kind of unique if a human being decides to create something that's never been created before, you know? All right. Well, on that note, I think we close with one last song. And if you tell us what uh, this, this third and final song we're going to hear. Yeah, well, thanks for this opportunity, Walt. This has been fun talking to you today. Um, It's called Time Has Come, and um, this song was birthed right when I was beginning to study Native American um, medicine and shamanism. And um, so you'll hear a little bit of a kind of an Indian theme, not as dramatic as Paul Revere and the Raiders' uh, uh, Cherokee Nation Mm -hmm. and all that song. Um, But I think... I felt like I wanted to do a song to honor uh, this people that that uh, that should be honored by us. We, they they should be part of the history of a America, and I mean even the bad parts that should be really known. But the way they looked at life, the way they approached things, was so inspirational to me as I began to get into it. Um, they they believe in the, the the four elements plus great spirit. So you've got earth, fire, water, and air. And and then Great Spirit brings it all together. So when I wrote this song, I wanted to be able to uh, take that, that kind of viewpoint on life that we're already here and that we're already part of this great living organism. And uh, the time has come. All right. Well, we'll listen to The Time Has Come.
father Thanks to Carrie William White. You can learn more about Carrie and listen to some of his music on his website, carriewilliam.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Measured Voices. In episode 33, I'll sit down with old soul and relative songwriting newcomer Connor J. Lease. Until then, I'm Walt Huntsman, and this has been Measured Voices. Measured Voices.